THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Listen nerds like you and Floating Bunny head creator Jonathan Sims. Head to Skelanot.com today to see John's comics, shirts, art prints, and more. That's S-K-E-L-E-N-A-U-T dot com. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 541. Not a landmark episode. They said it couldn't be done. This is like a filler episode where like they bring in two scabs to do it while like the regular creative team takes a day off. Nothing, nothing we do counts till we get to 550. It's true. It's true. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. We were talking about the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing 10 of Wednesday, August 21st's new comics, including Spotlight Reviews of Pretty Violent, number one, and Bad Reception, number one. After that, we'll review eight more of this week's comics while overdosing on red pills during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we will be interviewing some of our favorite comic book serial killers and rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally... We have received another strange communication from beyond, from our favorite nerdy ghost, J.D. Ketchum. He's back with another dispatch from the Marvel Lake House. It is all happening on this pre-Labor Day episode. But first, we better talk about this week's nerd news. Hot off the presses, Matt Bomb. Breaking news. Sony will produce future Spider-Man movies without... Input from Marvel Studios or its president, Kevin Feige. This is coming from Deadline. It's about time they got rid of that crap. (laughs) It was just getting in the way. The Hollywood trade reports that Disney, Marvel's parent company, and Sony, who control the Spider-Man film rights, could not come to terms on how to share profits for future (laughs) Spider-Man movies. The last two films, Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, were co-productions of Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures Entertainment and were created under Feige's guidance. Figgy has been listed as a producer on every Spider-Man film dating all the way back to Sony's uh, to 2002's Spider-Man. I did not know that. Yeah. Spider-Man Far From Home is Sony's highest grossing film of all time. I did not know that either. With a current global box office of $1.11 billion. Which makes American perfect dollars. sense. So you know what they're thinking. We don't yeah. need you. Right. Yeah. We did this without you. Yeah. Screw you. You guys right. had you guys literally had nothing to do with the success of this film. Now we'll get to Disney's <laughs> demands here in a second. Star Tom Holland and director John Watts are reportedly still scheduled to create two more films in the same continuity. Okay, let's just stop. Let's stop right there. How? Can I finish the sentence? No. Yes. How? <laughs> Though it's unclear how, or I, if Holland's Peter Parker could continue to appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't care about that. I want to know. split. Joe Patrick, you and me, right now. So let's just say they've handed us a script. You got to write the next Spider-Man film. You can't mention Tony Stark. You can't mention the Avengers. Probably can't mention Mysterio. <laughs> you can probably mention Mysterio, but definitely not Nick Fury. I mean, like, what are they going to do? <laughs> What could they possibly do? Just be like, no, it didn't happen? Uh, Start over? They're horny for that Venom stuff and Sinister Six stuff. Oh, my God. Uh, This is just, I don't think, I get it. Sony, you made a bunch of money. Good for you. You didn't do it by yourself. You didn't. But here, here comes the meat of the argument. Marvel Studios reportedly requested a 50-50 split of profits 
of future Spider-Man films, which Sony refused, offering to continue their existing deal, which is a 5% share of first dollar gross, uh, still a billion dollars. Uh, 45% less than what they wanted. <laughs> but still, like, what's... F- What's I like? I don't know the difference between like front end points and and, and market sure. share and blah 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 and all these all these buzzwords for different financial deals. But like five percent share of first dollar gross. I don't know if that means like every time a ticket sold, if, if a ticket sells for five bucks or ten bucks rather. No no no. It's after they make their money back, and there's all kinds of stuff. First dollar gross. Yeah, I, I gross mean, gross is gross, not I, net. No, well, okay, I agree. I that's true. I just don't think that. Sony fully understands the position they are in here. And I know this has never happened before. And this was exactly the reason that I said it'll never happen before it did actually happen. Yeah. Because the morass that they are now involved in. <laughs> I just like, it, like what can they pos- They have no leg to stand on. So they do not have the power, Sony. So let's assume that it's correct. That they've got the star and the director tied down for two more movies. Do they? Because the contract, the report says the contract they have signed. You don't know says, anything about the contract that they have signed. Well, the contract that they signed before said that Tom Holland could only appear in Sony Spider-Man movies and Avengers tie-ins, right? So if they so no longer agree Sony with that, Sony Spider-Man movies is what we're talking about. If they no longer agree with that. That's gone. They say, okay, we're not doing that anymore. All right, so we're just going to yank Spider-Man out of all the future Marvel. But stuff. that's Sony's deal with Marvel, not Sony's deal with Tom Holland. I get that. That's where I'm going with this. Tom Holland, what kind of deal does he have written? Is he under the mindset that, no, my deal was I was supposed to appear well, look, in Avengers Most of these film? guys get signed on for multi-picture deals. If I'm, I'm Tom sure Holland, Tom Hardy was also signed on to a multi-picture deal. If I'm Tom deal. Holland, I walk. No way. Fuck yeah, you're Tom Holland. You're famous, you're dude. You're a 20-year-old kid. You're going to walk away from being Spider-Man? I don't think so. In a Sony-only Spider-Man universe? What does he care? He, I bet he does care because he had a blast working with all these people. I bet you he doesn't he care as badly as this. you think. No, and I'm not just saying this badly is like enough fanboy. to throw his career in the toilet. No. Well, I, maybe he can also look at the writing on the wall and go, guess what? Will you pull me out of the Marvel Universe? It is <laughs> yes. going to be a steady decline. Hey, Marvel, you did it for Chris Evans. Cast me as anybody else. <laughs> Literally. Cast me as Rich Ryder. Cast, I don't give a fuck. Cast him as Captain America. Yeah. You know? uh, so let's just assume that it's correct that Sony has them tied down. Let's just say. Uh, those two movies are so tightly interwoven into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. How do you make a third movie? You can't. You can't. I mean, I suppose the secret identity stuff, that has nothing to do with the Marvel Universe, per se. How does it not? When the greater Marvel Universe was like, that was the thing that was just revealed, the whole Marvel Universe. Now well, you're like, nope, it's just New York. It's, it's, it's Spider-Man's universe. <laughs> I that guess. Knows, right? But still, though, it's, it's so intertwined. It, I don't yeah. know how you extricate the two. I think this is just Sony playing hardball. I think so, and too. And Disney is asking for, let's be fair. Disney is asking for a huge oh, yeah. but they upgrade also, to their deal. But they also can because they have the power. Yes. Look, we look what we've done for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Sony, I, if you want to continue to play ball, you have to play ball. This story you can't is not say, over. It's my ball and I'm going home because none of us want a completely Marvel, a Marvel Universe completely devoid of <laughs> Spider-Man or a Spider-Man universe completely devoid of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Nobody wants that. I think the Deadline article... Uh, the guy says it's like the Chicago Bulls saying that's okay. 
that's okay. We'll go into this next championship game without Michael Jordan. We got it. <laughs> not only that, we're striking his name from Chicago <laughs> yeah, Bulls Michael history. Jordan did not exist. We're pulling number 23 down. There's like, no such thing as number 23. Retiring the it jersey. Goes from 22 <laughs> to 24. Just like there's no 13th floor. <laughs> totally. <laughs> this story's not over. Definitely watch for, watch for more on this. Lost the kid. From the Villains Desk, Marvel's announced four new titles starting in November starring villains that you hate to love and love to hate and hate to hate and love to love and also Scream! Here's the rundown! <laughs> Scream! The Curse of Carnage! An ongoing series by writer Clay McLeod Chapman. Cool, Clay McLeod Chapman. That's the one. He woke. And artist Chris Moneyham! The aftermath of Absolute Carnage starts here in November! So we all know Scream's not getting killed. The original, and possibly the strongest offspring of the Venom symbiote. Is that right? No. <laughs> Last stars in her... Stronger than Carnage? <laughs> the first offspring of the Venom symbiote was Carnage. Right. Uh, what is going on I here? I don't know. Oh, no, 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 no. They're, they rewrote the continuity, so it was a Venom clone that became Scream. So it was like... Shut this happened up. before Carnage. Shut up. That was that whole story in the Arctic that I was telling you about with the clone and everything. And that was the Venom. Daniel Way. Or, that was the Daniel Way run that everybody yes. ignored and everybody hated. Yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact. But after the events of Absolute Carnage, who is the Scream symbiote bonded to? What are their intentions? And what will a pair of web-swinging wall crawlers, Venom and Spider-Man? What will they have to say about their presence? Yeah, in Venom New and Spider-Man. Dramatic pause. <laughs> yeah. What will they have to say? I don't care about Scream. I don't want to scream ongoing series. I, don't I care. did think that scream thing that I read last week as part of Absolute Carnage was pretty fun. And they brought back a bunch of dumb characters yeah, that I no, don't care about. No, I don't need it. I don't need it. We got uh, Deadpool number one relaunching. Probably an ongoing, though they villain? did not say. Is Deadpool even a villain? He's at an anti hero. I mean, let's go with the theme. All right. Uh, it's relaunching with an all new creative team of writer Kelly Thompson and artist Chris, Chris Bacalo. I'll give you, he's not a good guy. Not a hero. Yeah. Right. Deadpool's newest mercenary job has him going after the King of Monsters, who has claimed a new kingdom for his subjects on Staten Island. Can Deadpool's smooth diplomacy and deft... Hmm. Read it. There was some funky cut and paste there. Can Deadpool's smooth diplomacy and deft diplomacy <laughs> allow him to keep his head, or will he be royally it's screwed? Two different types of diplomacy. Yeah, two different kinds. You gotta go in with both kinds. We play both kinds of diplomacy, smooth and deft. <laughs> okay, so who is the king of the monsters? Is it Fing Fang Foom? Uh, I think it's some sort of new monster character. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I don't, well, Do I don't Fing know, Fing though. Fang I guess Foom. I don't know. I hope it's Fing Fang Foom. Let's, sure. Uh, we talked about this on Cover to Cover a little bit. This is a creative team that makes me interested in reading Deadpool. Yeah, month I, month. yeah, no, definitely. I'd like to see what Kelly Thompson does with it. For sure. Morbius, the living vampire, because we were going to make a movie with Marvel, but we're not it, doing that it anymore. It's still in the books. So. And they're not making it with Marvel. It's just Sony. No, that's true. Yeah. A series of unspecified length. What? What? A series of unspecified length from writer Vita Ayala and artist Marcelo Ferreira. Yeah, we don't know if that's ongoing or limited. Gotcha. For years, there's no way this is like 
full on ongoing. Look, we're gonna get to issue. We're three. getting a scream ongoing. Issue three hundred so, of Morbius. Why really? would you put anything past him? <laughs> For years, Nobel Prize winning biologist Michael Morbius has been struggling to cure himself of his vampirism. Doesn't he have like weird like chemical vampirism though? He's not like a real. Yeah, vampire. yeah, he's the living vampire. Okay. And now, for the first time, one may be within reach, but the path is littered with dangers and mutations. Uh, Morbius may be a vampire now, but what will he become? <sighs> All new Morbius, huh? I guess. I'm right. uh, I mean, I like Morbius, whatever. Do you? Enough to read him in his own series? Mm, limited. Uh, I guess. Yeah. If you can do something cool. Yeah. I suppose. Finally, we have Yondu, a five-issue series starring the version of the character popularized by Guardians of the Galaxy's Michael Rooker, written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson with art by the legendary John McRae. I would argue we've had that for a little bit. They just haven't really leaned into it. He's never had a series. No, 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 but I mean like the way the character has been acting. Well, yes, I'm about to mention that. Okay. Conveniently, this version, which was introduced into the comics in 2015, has been described as the ancestor of the original Yondu, who co-founded the Guardians of the Galaxy centuries in the future, for those of you like Aura McWilliams who care about such things. Okay, there you go. Up your butt, Aura. Yeah. Yandu, lone ravager and all-around scoundrel, is about to hit the biggest payday of his life when he stumbles upon a dangerous new weapon. But when this artifact turns out to be deadlier than he bargained for, will the reward outweigh the risk? <laughs> wow! But, <laughs> but when this artifact turns out to be deadlier than he bargained for, will the reward outweigh the risk? As Yandu finds himself targeted by a mysterious mercenary, plus... Reward outweigh the risk. Reward outweigh the risk. Plus, when an unexpected visitor from the future turns up to stop Yandu, is it the original Yandu? Of course it is. It begs the question, exactly how bad did he screw up? Of course it is. You know. I that, hope so. Yeah. Fingers crossed, baby. Future Yandu's going to come and be like, all right, here's the deal. You fucked up and I don't exist in the future now. <laughs> we got to fix that. That's fun. Uh, yeah, that's fun. John McRae, they had me at John McRae. Yeah. Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler did some Age of X stuff. I mean, they're fine. They're okay. But John McRae, yes, sign me up. Not to mention, okay, like... I always liked John McRae, but I never thought the man was like exceptional. You know, like he's his, exceptional, his, just not his hitman stuff was really he's good. He's exceptional at what he does. Well, yes, but I would argue in the past five years, John McRae has become absolutely out of his mind exceptional at nah, penciling. Yeah, he's always been great. He got so good. What was the series he did uh, over at Image with um, Mythic? Mythic. That was good. Gorgeous. Yeah. I couldn't believe how good that was. John McRae has always been great. He's always been you good. Dummy. He is now great. Okay. He got better. Uh, so of these four books, I'm saying 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. We'll see. Good job, Marvel. You're swinging for the fences as always. Yeah. It's fun. Snoochie boochies. <laughs> from the attorney at desk, writer-director Kevin Smith is leading a continuation. I think it's from the view askew desk. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> From the View Askew Desk, writer-director Kevin Smith is leading a continuation of the classic 1980s cartoon He-Man and the Masters of the Universe in a new series for Netflix titled Masters of the Universe, colon, Revelation. Described as, quote, a new series telling the epic tale of what may be He-Man and Skeletor's final battle, end quote, Revelation will be animated by Powerhouse, who also produced Netflix's Castlevania. Which was totally great. That's pretty good. It was totally great. Here is Netflix's official description of the series. A radical return to Eternia. I think it's a radical return. <laughs> a radical return to Eternia. Revelation is a direct sequel series to the classic era of Masters of the Universe featuring fan favorites He-Man, Orko, Cringer, and Man-at-Arms. 
Two out of four ain't bad, I guess. They better have everybody in yeah, there. Yeah, right. The story like, pits. Where the fuck is Stratos? Well, we'll you know? get that. <laughs> Where's my man Zodak? Yeah, well, if Ram Man doesn't show up, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> the story pits our heroic warriors and guardians of Castle Grayskull against Skeletor, Evil Lynn, Beast Man, and the vile legions of Snake Mountain. But after a ferocious final battle forever fractures Eternia, it's up to Tila to solve the mystery of the missing sword of power in a race against time to prevent the end of the universe. She was always a smart one, though. Yeah. Her journey will uncover the secrets of Grayskull at last. This is the epic He-Man and Masters of the Universe saga fans have waited 35 years to see. Uh, We have no announced date yet for the series, but... Okay, so an open letter to everyone that's saying, I don't like Kevin Smith, fuck this, I don't want Kevin Smith to have my He-Man. That's not what's going on here. He's the showrunner. I am watching Black Sails right now. It's a wonderful show. And the showrunner is Michael Bay. And I do not care. I fundamentally do not care for Michael Bay movies. I love Black Sails. Kevin Smith has directed a number of excellent episodes of the CW. He absolutely has. But Kevin Smith is just a showrunner here. He is getting the talent to do this. It's not like he's going to draw the animation or write dick and fart jokes in the E-Man. Okay. Mark Bernadine, who worked on Castle Rock, which was excellent if you didn't watch it. He also wrote a series called Alphas for sci-fi back in the day. Yeah. I loved Alphas. So you don't think Kevin Smith's going to like insert any dialogue about He-Man making jokes about... uh, If they want to do something... About Man-at-Arms' brown eye or whatever. If they want to go into like (laughs) Prince Adam secretly being gay, because we all knew that (laughs) the whole time. Just because a guy wears a pink shirt. Yeah, well, when he became He-Man, he wasn't any less gay. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) No, this sounds awesome. I don't care if he means gay. These guys, I don't either. In fact, I think you embrace that and you just do it. It makes sense. Look how he dresses. (laughs) Come on. Don't push it. No, I think this is great. I think it's going to be awesome. I loved the animators that did that Castlevania. We're still waiting for more of Warren Ellis' Castlevania. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's coming or not. But this sounds totally kick-ass. And I love these revivals of this older stuff. I think the idea, like... They are also tying so, us into Mattel getting the rights back to He-Man and putting, like, He-Man is coming back in a major way to, well, I was going to say the ghost of Toys R Us, I guess. <laughs> so, like, Voltron, the new Voltron and the new She-Ra, those are, like, reboots. This is a continuation right. of the original. And so the idea that there are these, like, dangling storylines that I've been waiting to see resolved is that what I get? No. I don't think it's That's nonsense. Mean. That is what they're saying, yes. But but I think um, what they're doing still is, though, I I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm totally fun. I think they're what they're saying is we're not resetting anything. We're just picking what up. What continuity is there really to reset? Just in though, the sense where like we know where He Man's from and all that shit. Yeah. And you know the characters. Here's more adventures. I Give it to me, Kevin. Give it to me. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while covering ourselves with green Velcro for our Moss Man cosplay. I love Moss Man. Me too. <laughs> so, Although, like, shit just stuck to Yeah, it. yeah. Like, any dog hair you had, like, after a while, Moss Man was, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune into Cover to Cover Live every Saturday. Not this Saturday. Not where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time. It's like AM talk radio, but for nerds and with more Ram Man quotes. Coming, Ram Man. <laughs> Ram Man? Hey, guys. Ram Man was special. 
He had well, brain damage. Yeah. Well, you know, took a lot of hits to the skull. Yeah. <laughs> so call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. Kiddies, it is spotlight review time in the ziggurat where Joe and I ignore the Batman spoilers swimming around the internet like hungry sharks just waiting to ruin issue 77 to take a break and review two comics that have nothing to do with the big two for the first time in a while. Yeah, it's, look at us. It doesn't happen in months. Joe Patrick. We should be celebrated for this effort. Why don't you start us off? Although, I don't know how happy <laughs> these creative teams are going to be. <laughs> Okay, I just won't mention it in the tweet. <laughs> okay. This week I'm reviewing Pretty Violent, number one from Image Comics, written by Derek Hunter and Jason Young, with art by Derek Hunter, colors by Spencer Holt. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Series premiere! Gamma Ray wants to be a superhero, and why shouldn't she? She's been strong since she was a baby. The only problem is, all her siblings are notorious hero-murdering criminals. That's a huge spoiler, by the way. Uh, join artist blah, 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 and writer what's-his-name for this all-new ongoing gore-filled laugh-out-loud comedy for mature readers that explores one girl's journey through the rift between personal and family identity. I should say that Derek Hunter has worked on DuckTales and Adventure Time, and Jason Young has worked on I Hate Fairyland for Image. Three things, though, uh, claimed in the solicit that Pretty Violent number 1 is not. Laugh out loud. Mature. <laughs> a thoughtful exploration of the rift between personal and family identity. I think they meant, like, for mature audience. Sure. Uh -huh. I don't think they meant, like, this is a very mature no, story. Yeah, no. <laughs> Derek Hunter and Jason Young fail at every opportunity to make readers connect with Ray or anyone else. Everyone in this comic, from the protagonist to the background characters, is completely one-dimensional. Ray's only personality trait seems to be, make people love me no matter how many die in the process. The characters act with such irrational hatred for one another that any attempt at parody or satire is completely lost. Your gauge for humor will depend on how funny you think it is to see dead bodies used as weapons or if decapitated children are hilarious. I mean, it depends if they had it coming. They're not not hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that Ray comes from a family of supervillains is treated as a final page twist, which only works if you didn't read the solicit beforehand. I did not before I wrote this review, but Ray is so grotesquely unlikable throughout the issue that when the twist came, I was completely unsurprised. I was like, yeah, no shit. Just look at how she behaves. It's almost like they wanted you to get to that twist and go, oh, now I understand oh, the book. She comes from a broken home. Right. Yeah, you know, no. like that would make it better. Yeah, no. <laughs> we get so little insight into Ray's character and her background that by the time Hunter and Young get to the point... Assuming they do it in future issues, I will be beyond caring. Derek Hunter draws in this squishy, grotesque style, very reminiscent of cartoons like Ren and Stimpy. It's well done, but I really do not care for it. Spencer Holt does add some nice, vibrant colors to Hunter's line work that really enhance the animated feel of the art. Unfortunately, the visuals just aren't my cup of tea. Foulmouth comics starring little kids seem to be all the rage at Image these days, I hate Fairyland, Bully Wars, and now this have all graced the stands within the past year or so. And I have yet to be won over by any of these attempts, so hopefully Pretty Violent is a bullet to the head 
or rather a decapitated torso to the head of this particular <laughs> trend. I'm giving this a leave it. I really like fiercely did not like it. Um, I I didn't mind the art as much as you did. I think he's you're a Ren and Stimpy fan. Uh, well, not just that. I I I think it was an interesting choice to tell this kind of story. With that said, I did not like the story. No, and, and it's not like it was like it was offensive or anything like that. No, it's not just, even offensive. No, it just kind of came off as childish. It's juvenile and poorly thought out. Right. You know, it's the opposite of mature. Right. I mean, but I don't know. They could have done something funny here, I suppose, but this didn't get the slapstick that they were going for. You know you, what I mean? I, I know it's not the same thing, and I don't mean to compare the two directly, but like a movie like Deadpool, mm-hmm. it's got gross out of humor. Sure. Uh, it's outrageous. It's horrendously violent. Right. It's also clever. Yes. <laughs> Pretty violent is not this clever. This was missing that cleverness. Yeah. And I'm giving it a skim it because I really like the art. But I don't think the story was as clever as it thought it was. Okay. You know what I mean? Matt Bomb, speaking of books that think they're way too clever. Oh, let's talk about clever, shall we? This week, I am reviewing Bad Reception, number one from Aftershock. It's written and drawn by Wando. It's 32 pages, and it was $3.99. How many pages uh, before your review kicks in? We'll get there. Okay. (laughs) Here is your solicit. It's the celebrity wedding of the century, set in an undisclosed remote location with no access to Wi-Fi, cell phone reception, or the outside world. But the dream wedding becomes a nightmare when one by one the guests are brutally slaughtered. It, remember, it's got the hyphen Slaw in it. hyphen turd. By yeah. a serial killer who brands his victims with a hashtag. I'm not going to read the rest of it. Okay. Your suggested soundtrack this one is a soundtrack to The Social Network by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross because it is a very thought-provoking and excellent background soundtrack and that'll come into play because there isn't a lot of action or horror here so (laughs) yeah or thought-provoking so artist wando decided he wanted to be a double threat huh yeah yeah kind of artist that don't need no writer huh well he is off to what i would call a start here with no less than eight pages of written dialogue and no art other than a blood smear that leads to one of the main characters' corpse. I mean, I will say Eight that was pages. That was a, a striking, but it was way too many pages. Oh my god! Like an oh, entire fresh air interview. Oh, Joe Patrick. It goes on from there. Yeah. Doe spends almost the entire issue showing the two famous main characters inviting their friends to their social media free wedding, with each character going on long diatribes about the minutia of their social media teams and stats and the philosophy of social media. It's a hashtag <laughs> off the grid wedding in an undisclosed location. The art is incredible, as usual, with Doe, and there is something creepy going on in the background. But I found myself completely bored with the overbearing and at times ridiculous dialogue by characters that are beyond obsessed with their phones. One of the main characters even laughs out loud phonetically. L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L. To the point that they make fun of her for it. No less than three times. Yeah. And she also has lines like, I've mostly been MIA since NYU. I miss my NYC sister. So she'll be in Soho tomorrow morning? Like, ugh. (laughs) If Doe is trying to create a cast of characters that will enjoy seeing murdered, he's succeeding. Yeah, great. But he spends so (laughs) much time jamming his anti-social media message down the reader's throat that every character sounds exactly the same and has the same heady thoughts on the modern state of human communication. If there's a horror story brewing here, he needed to get to it. 
Maybe in those first fucking eight pages I spent reading about social media <laughs> philosophy. While heady and beautifully illustrated, I found bad reception to be an overwritten bore with very little payoff that would convince me to read the next issue. Juan, I love you, but you need an editor, buddy. I've got to give this. I'm only giving it a skimmit. Coward! Because his art is so good. Yeah. His art is so That's where I good. Am but you gotta have an editor, man. The story has premise. The problem is the premise gets reiterated again. by every character. And again. Over and, and over again. and over again. And I get it. We're obsessed with our curating. Yeah, no, it's true. We're obsessed with our followers and stuff. But oh my, page after page yeah, after and there's page. Like, there is a, there's a story to be had there with like vapid celebrities. Sure. And the 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 one is this this Ariel Grande Ariana Grande what the yeah, fuck yeah she's supposed to be like you know, some sort of pop is, star her name's like Gaia yeah right, like right. Uh, and the other one's like this heady writer and so but of course their whole network is like super pretentious yeah artsy. it's like what if Ariana Grande married Chuck Klosterman yeah I've, <laughs> I've got to go into the wilderness to find our favorite chef to cook for our wedding our hashtag off the grid wedding in an undisclosed location right and the hashtag undisclosed location off the grid social media how could we possibly be away for a social media for that <laughs> like, long oh my god and there's like I a, don't know if I can even it's bad for my followers it's bad for my Q rating it's bad for the analog shut and up I, and I'll tell you what uh, <laughs> they actually show Gaia's Instagram Instagram post where she's announcing that she's going hashtag off the grid, uh, where she repeats the hashtag off the grid at least three times. Yeah, that's not how hashtags work. No, you don't need to use them multiple times. No. Uh, yeah, I'm giving this a skim it because Wando is very talented and he does some very cool stuff with the framing. But the thing of it is, it's like he was trying to illustrate that there's something creepy going on in the background, but there's not enough of that creepiness to develop any creepy story so far. It's just like, we see a deer get shot. We see some guy walking around. The people you know, needed like, to be gathered at this wedding by halfway through, and yes. the first character needed to be dead by the end. Yeah, and all you need to say is, we made everybody leave their cell phones in a bag. No cell yeah, phones. Right, right. No social media. Like, I don't need three pages of this Scottish stereotype saying fook instead of fuck. Right. Uh, while Conor he tries McGreg to convince him. Conor McGregor, like, yeah. talking to Chuck Losterman. Yeah, <laughs> I'm giving it a skim it just because it's like there's potential it's beautiful but you've got to rein it in yeah. so that is a leave it and a skim it for pretty violent number one and a double skim it for bad reception number one we were rough this week we'll post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so long after these creators have dismembered us the reason why will live on but we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too. So call next weekend next on weekend. THN Cover to Cover. I got to go to a wedding this weekend. I apologize. At its new time, 11 a.m. to noon, Central Standard Time. I'm in the wedding. Otherwise, let's go. Okay. <laughs> Who's wedding? Uh, my buddy Denver. Oh, Denver. Nice. And all the hubbub about Spidey leaving the Marvel U. There was another little tidbit of Hollywood news of about Keanu Reeves returning for a fourth Matrix movie. Yeah, baby! Which could be difficult since they established that this is a never-ending cycle in the end of the third installment. I thought they broke the cycle at the end of the no, third installment. No, they said it's going to happen again, but it just might happen differently. I barely remember, to tell you the truth. <laughs> we all 
remember the first Matrix film, you know, the only good one. So to recap, parts two and three, Joe and I will be having a red and blue pills and booze party while we revisit the films at two and a half times speed, all while we review eight more of this Wednesday's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous oh, Speed! Go! Trade. Number one from Dark Horse, speaking of Juan Doe. Imagine if the Silver Surfer was a cat and Galactus was an uncaring mega corporation looking for resources and other planets with a complete disregard for the inhabitants, and you've got straight. Carlos Giafoni writes an excellent script where we meet a woman and her talking cat, thanks to a special collar that the woman invented. Through experimentation, most of which looked painful, the cat is able to astrally project its consciousness deep into space to look for new planets. While the cat tries to pick uninhabited worlds, the job is getting harder and harder, and both Kitty and owner are starting to feel like prisoners of the corporation they work for. Wando is incredible on the arc here with stunning coloring job with a stunning coloring job to match his incredible stripped-down art style. I've never been a cat person, but I love this first issue, and Stray looks like it's going to be very emotional sci-fi. I'm giving it a buy it. It was good. Ghost Spider, number one from Marvel. Spider-Gwen is dead. Long live Ghost Spider. What a dumb name. Okay, so she's still Gwen Stacy, the same cool rocker chick from Earth uh, from Earth 65 that you loved in Into the Spider-Verse, trying to balance life as a superhero and a college student. Why can't we call her Spider-Girl? Well, she was Spider-Woman. Why can't we call her Spider-Woman? There are reasons. Uh, the catch is that due to events in her last series, she has to lay low in the 616 universe to try and live a normal life. Writer Seanan McGuire gives you everything you need to know to enjoy this issue if you're a new reader. Gwen has a fun rapport with our Peter Parker. I adore artist Takeshi Miyazawa, who is a perfect fit for this book. After something like 800 relaunches, I think I'm on board for the further adventures of the Ghost Spider. I'm giving it a bite. It's cute and it's fun. I like the character. I've learned to like the character. I thought it was fun. Thanks in part to the movie. Um, but yeah, buy it. If it makes it 10 issues, I'll be shocked. I mean, this was issue 51 of Spider-Gwen altogether, so deal with that. How many times did we watch it? Doesn't matter. It's still going. <laughs> 51. Adventure Finders Edge of Empire, number one from Action Lab. Adventure Finders is back. And if you, like me, didn't read the first volume, there is a lot going on that you will not be able to follow. But that's my fault, not writer-artist Rod Espinoza. Espinoza has been around for quite a while, and he's really come into his digital manga style. His background and settings use digital effects, but not those that are drastically noticeable. His colors are excellent. This skews towards YA reading, but it's definitely high fantasy for RPG fans. And even though I wasn't sure what was happening a lot of the time, Espinoza has created a fully realized world. He just expects you to have read the first volume. Adventure Finders, Edge of Empire, like I said, not a jumping on point, but it is very well written and drawn. I'm giving it a bite. Transformers, 84, zero. That's gotta be a skimmit. Well, I mean, it's not my, it's not the book's fault. But Skinny is not a negative review. It's saying, hey, you've never read this before. Maybe take a look no, before I you buy that, it. No, I get that, but I'm saying, like, look, he's just saying you have to pay attention to the first volume to come on to the second volume, and there's nothing wrong with that storytelling. Valiant does a lot of that as well. It's just different rules. Hmm. Transformers 84, number zero, from IDW. A lot of numbers there. Yeah. Legendary Transformers creators Simon Furman and Guido Guidi. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Guido. Reunite for this prequel to the classic Marvel series and offer some shocking revelations about Optimus Prime's decision to leave Cybertron with his squad of Autobots. 
lots of intrigue and great old school art from Guidi that definitely scratches that Generation 1 itch. That said, it's going to have a pretty narrow appeal for guys like me that long for the days where our Transformers were made of metal and changed into cars and planes, not animals, goddammit. <laughs> Transformers 84 number 0 gets a strong skimming. I'm giving it a buy it. I thought this was a lot of fun. And I, I really like the way Simon from the race Transformers. Boy, our reviews just have no rules, do they? None whatsoever. What do you mean? They're meaningless. Other than buy it and leave it, our reviews mean nothing. <laughs> what do you mean? Headless number one from Scout. Mix a bit of Stranger Things with a dash of Sleepy Hollow and just a pinch of Gremlins, and you've got Headless. Writer Alexander Banchita introduces a sleepy little town circa 1987 with an ancient evil secret and a young group of friends about to come face to face with a supernatural threat. The story pairs the pains of puberty with demonic activity and the script works pretty well. Robert Ahmad's art has a cartoonish feel. He obviously loves the work of creators like Darwin Cook, good person to look up to. He goes from monotone blue to pink colors only, and the effect works very well. This is a fun first issue with a plot that shows real promise, and a last page cliffhanger that threw me for a loop. I did not see it coming. Give this a buy it. Alright. Year of the Villain. Black Mask. One shot from DC. Year of the Villain rolls on with another bad guy solo story. This one lacks the nuance and depth Mark Russell brought to his Sinestro story, but... Tom Taylor delivers a solid action comic that fills us in on Roman Sionis' troubled past. Great art by the always fantastic Cully Hammer. I love him. I love him. I love him. Uh, he's got two strikes against him for being a code conspirator in the redesign of the New 52. <laughs> he was doing his job. He redesigned half those fucking awful costumes. They hired him to do it. All right. But I was left with a lot of questions about Renee Montoya's timeline in the current DCU. She's still a police detective? And the question, and working with Batwoman. Well, she's a the question right now. We think, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, they revealed it was Renee and Lois yeah. Lane, right? Yeah. 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 It's confusing. I don't know exactly. Uh, anyway, I'm giving the Black Mask one shot a strong scheme. It's good. It's just it's not essential. You want to get more confused? Vic Sage is also the question. <laughs> so I guess we'll get there. Yeah. Planet Caravan number one from Scout. Part of Scout's new binge imprint, Planet Caravan gets this first issue, and then the entire story will be released in graphic novel form, quote, a few months later. <laughs> yeah. Planet Caravan comes off as less of a story and more of artist Stefano Cardicelli's realization of one of my favorite grindcore band, Bolt Throwers, more brutal songs. The art is amazing. An abstract watercolor madness that looks like what would happen if Jim Mafud played more Warhammer 40,000. Hulking cyborg warriors with massive firepower. Explosions too big for the panels to contain. Planet Caravan is more of an art book than a comic, but it's damn well worth the cover price. And I expect to see big things from Cardicelli in the future. I am giving this a buy it. Pearl number 12 from DC Jinx World. The solicitor for Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos's oddly romantic Yakuza epic promised a, quote, stunning multimedia experience, and it really delivers. Did they text you while you were reading it? Well, no. Oh. I mean, not that. I mean, that was not one of the multiple medias. Oh, okay. <laughs> part traditional line, part gorgeous painted art, part fumetti. Uh, if you don't know what fumetti is, really? look it up. Yeah. Uh, but like in a weird like Michael Gatos. Tell the kids what fumetti is. Fumetti is when uh, photos are incorporated and turned into sequential art. Uh, Google the uh, the Marvel Fumetti book. I hate it. It's great. <laughs> it's great here. Michael Gatos has created a visual feast. Bendis ties all the loose ends up for now, leaving the door open for more stories. 
Took me a couple issues to warm up to it, but I really enjoyed Pearl. This is a great conclusion. I'm giving it a buy it. Swamp. That is your Ludicrous Speed Round in Swamp. It's the sound of Gamma Ray. That's R-A-E, mind you. Getting smacked in the face with half a dead guy. As seen in the pages of this week's Pretty Violent, number one. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Joe Patrick via his keyboard. It was just too dumb not to use. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, smack any of our social media accounts with it, or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Nerds, I am super excited to inform you that we once again have someone dumb enough to sponsor this show. What a fool. His name is Jonathan Sims. I mean, what a great guy. (laughs) You've heard us talk about him. He's the creator of Floating Bunnyhead comic books and the forthcoming official THN t-shirt. We did it, you guys. It's all happening. We did it. You can check out John's shop at skeleton.com for Snack Attack, the coloring book. It's got a bunch of food-based monsters. It's gross and it's awesome. Sounds disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) He's got t-shirts. He's got comics. He's got enamel pins like his brand spanking new raptor tail grab pin, which is available now. It's a cartoon velociraptor with a backwards ball cap doing a tail grab on a skateboard. Holy Holy shit. shit. He's got a magnificent, flowing, lush beard. He sells great art prints, t-shirts. I said that. Beard is not for sale. I said that too. (laughs) Beard not for sale. Step off, you guys, creepos. Joe Patrick, how do I spell skeleton? Skelenaut is spelled S-K-E-L-E-N-A-U-T-D-O-T-C-O-M. Thank you. Skelenaut.com. Appreciate that last part. That was good. Thank you. Thanks, John. We appreciate your sponsorship. Huge thanks. Go throw money at John. He's a great guy. He's throwing money at us. We couldn't appreciate that more. And watch for the upcoming official THN t-shirt news. Oh, my God. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Matt and I just finished the second season of Netflix's Mindhunter. And now we know we've got the stuff to sit down with some of our favorite comic book serial killers like Victor Creed and Victor Zaz, Victor's Creed and Zaz, to get to the root of their need to kill. I got it! They share the same name. Sure, buddy. Yeah, that's probably it. Say... Before we bring these guys in here, why don't we discuss our must-read picks for next week? My pick for next week goes to Maul, number one, from Vault. It's written by Michael Morrissey, with art by Gary Doberman, 32 pages for $3.99. Not to be confused with The Maul, which was a totally different book that I reviewed some months ago. Maul! (laughs) And it's in all caps. You have to yell it. Right. Here's your solicit. Here in the heartland of the U.S. of A., the world has ended. But worry not. Because the mall still stands. And within the walls of this consumeristic mecca lies the New World Order. Box store tribes and name brand gangs, all vying for a limited space and resources. So actually, you can worry. Especially for poor Andre Reed, who, after the assassination of a tribal leader, has to navigate the Mad Haven to prove his innocence and prevent the end of the world again. So the world has ended. A group of people are living in the mall, and they've created their own weird little Lord of the Flies civilization. (laughs) Name brand gangs. Is that like if the baseball meanies were like all decked out in Gap stuff? Yeah, or like FUBU. (laughs) (laughs) The FUBU. Yeah. The FUBU meanies. There was like a Lagoons gang, you know? Joe Patrick. The Bugle, the Bugle Boys? Yeah. Bugle Boys? No, that was a thing already. Yeah, Bugle Boys was pants. Bugle Boys. Yeah, like back in the 80s. Yeah, but there was there was also the Beagle Boys. That was, from, uh, they were the bad guys. From DuckTales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always robbed banks and shit. Right. Um, 
Michael Morrissey. I love him. Yeah, he's a great writer. That, dude. Done a bunch of Star Wars Friend stuff that I really enjoy. Super sweet guy. Hung out with him in Chicago that yeah. one time. Great guy. Joe Patrick, what's your pick? My pick for next week is Batman Superman, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, with art by David Marquez. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Up in the sky, in the dark of the night, trust no one, for the secret six walk among us. Spinning out of the devastating events of the Batman Who Laughs, Superman and Batman are together once more in an all-new monthly series, and they're facing a terrifying new threat that could strike from anywhere. I'm just glad they're back together, because we yeah, never see know. those characters do anything together. Know, you know, it's really nice. Woo. The Dark Knight and the Man of Steel must journey into the depths of Gotham City to learn which of their fellow heroes has been transformed into the horrifying horseman of their most dangerous and deranged foe ever. I think it's a horrifying horse man. Horrifying horse man. <laughs> Our heroes will need to fight to survive, but an even more dangerous question lurks in the shadows. Can Superman and Batman even trust each other? Ooh, maybe one of them is the horse man. <laughs> oh. Horse man. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm kind of up and down on this whole Batman yeah. who laughs stuff, but, but... I love Batman, Superman, World's Finest style team-up books. I love the Secret love Six. Love them. I love Joshua Williamson. Oh, don't even think about the Secret Six because it's not like that. Oh, it's not? No. The Secret Six in this case refers to the six characters that have been secretly infected. That dumb. That's dumb. By the so Batman this is who going laughs. into that whole infection thing. It's the Batman who laughs who's infected six people. We talked about this. Yeah, yeah, but there's like a whole infection event that's coming. I mean, not an event. It's part of Year of the Villain, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, this is spinning out of that. Um, I love Joshua Williamson. He is quietly one of DC's, like, greatest hit, hit writers right now. He is really, really good. Uh, David Marquez. David Marquez. He is fucking fantastically talented. I want to give you a little sneak peek. I have seen Batman Superman number one already, and I did not know. Where did you see that? Uh, retailer trickery. Oh. Uh, I didn't know how badly he belonged at dc until i saw him draw batman and superman wasn't he it's, doing x stuff recently he was a marvel exclusive doing a lot of x-men stuff yeah um i'm very excited for this book and once the year of the villain crap is over hopefully this is still going strong but yeah killer creative team looking forward to yeah, it he's dumb talented i love that guy the trade of the week goes to x-men grand design x Extinction, the trade paperback <laughs> marvel comics it's written and drawn by ed pisker it's a bunch of pages for $29.99. Here is your solicit. The series that has critics and fans raving returns for its final installment. The fall and rise of the X-Men revisited. Relive the now classic storylines of the 1980s, including the mutant massacre, the fall of the mutants, Inferno, and the extinction agenda. And it's out with the old and in with the blue and gold as the X-Men enter the 90s. An explosive era of X-Men history is revisited, expanded, and polished for a new generation, including the debuts of such 1990s mainstays as Julie, Gambit, Psylocke, Mr. Sinister. I don't like any of those characters. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, like, I had to think about it. Like, I don't give a shit about any of those characters. Regardless. The final chapter of this best-selling prestige series caps off the first three decades, yada, yada, yada. You get it. Ed Piscor is a wonderful indie artist creator that did a book called The Hip Hop Family Tree. And if you haven't read it and you give 
even the slightest crap about hip hop and history, pick it up. It is so great. And he brought that sensibility to the X-Men. It's yes, it pays attention to to the storylines and the creators behind it, but it's also how Ed Piscor remembers it. It's condensing it. 30 years right. of X-Men history into like a silver bullet. But it's also how he remembers certain things, other stuff that he loved at the time. Oh, other forms sort of, of media injected yeah, like into cartoons it. and stuff. Oh, it's so fun. I cannot say enough about these. They're wonderful. And when this is all done, you know they're gonna put out a gigantic prestige edition of the whole thing, and I cannot wait to put it on my shelf and never read it again. Wow. (laughs) And I hope it weighs 35 pounds. These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week, but we want to hear about your experiences with the criminally insane and what you're excited to read. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you'd like to hear us review on the show. Don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. They say if you cross the river to the east of Omaha, you'll find yourself in a spectral neither world called Council Bluffs, Iowa. It's there the lonely spirit of our love slave, J.D. Ketchum, lives in a lake house reading six-month-old digital comics. We just happened to purchase that same lake house, and every once in a while, we'll find an audio tape in the mailbox with another dispatch from the Marvel Lake House. Why does he sound like a cowboy ghost? Have you ever seen the lake house? <laughs> I was trying to make it creepy. <laughs> lake house to Ziggurat. Lake house to Ziggurat. Come in. Sorry, this equipment's a little out of use. Uh, let me see what I can do here. Hold on. There we go. All right, sorry for the absence. As you know, I've I've recently had a lease agreement dispute with the powers that be regarding the lake house. I remain unapologetic. When Hickman does an X-book, you violate space-time to check that shit out. Nonetheless, I required some alternative lodging, so I found myself up a goddamn mountain in Uncle Warren's cabin. He wasn't there. He was on assignment in Wallachia, doing research on the various differences between whips and morning stars or something like that. To while away my time until I could get the lake house locks changed back, I dug around in the cabin's archives and picked up some interesting finds for the listeners. First thing I found was a book called Ruins. Uh, it's a two-issue series uh, by Warren Ellis with art by Cliff and Therese Nielsen. Here's your solicit. Marvel's favorite pessimist looks through his darkest glass, yet into a world where Marvel is just another word for horror. Nuclear warfare, internment camps, government oppression, drug addiction, degradation, suicide, and those are just the ones we have words for. Have the men and women we know as heroes made the situation better or worse? Here's a hint. In the ruins, radiation only kills. Guess what? It's a comedy. According to Warren. Ellis intended this as a satirical parody of Busek and Rouse's Marvels, complete with painted art and Phil Sheldon as the protagonist. What we got instead was a dystopian Marvel universe with Sheldon narration like, I hate this city. It's here that the American dream decided it liked the taste of the vomit it was choking on, just rolled over on its back and screamed for more drugs. It didn't die. Which feels more like a rough draft of what would become Spider-Jerusalem than anything Marvel. Except Ruins has all of the degradation and outrage of Transmet, but without the underlying hope and absurdity. 
This is definitely Ellis at the start of his career, still feeling things out. The painted art by the husband-wife team of the Nielsens is striving for a messy homage to Ross, but becomes so busy and jumbled in spots, I found myself skimming the pages for a recognizable panel. Until I started looking into Ellis's early work on Marvel Unlimited, I never knew this book even existed. After reading it, I can understand why people don't talk about it. But as an artifact of Ellis's beginnings at Marvel and as a comics writer, it is definitely a fascinating look. Around the same time as Ruins, Ellis took over the reins of Excalibur from Scott Lobdell. Uh, Excalibur's numbers 83 through 85 were his first initial story arc, the Soul Sword trilogy. Ellis was on script duties over a Lobdell plot. Basically, after Ilyana died of the legacy virus, she left the Soul Sword to Kitty, unbeknownst to her or anyone else. A pair of sorcerers, inexplicably linked to Kurt's girlfriend Amanda Sefton, race to get the sword from Kitty, while the rest of Excalibur are conveniently incapacitated. After a brief flicker of cringeworthy 90s bad girl from Kitty and everyone's favorite fuzzy elf being possessed by an insanely forgettable magic bad guy, seriously, has there been a more 90s magic villain name than Grave Moss? And has anyone heard from him since? Kitty kicks some ass with a cool Wolverine Krav Maga lesson from back before Krav Maga was ever a suburban soccer mom's fitness craze. While Ellis's voice is present, the fact that this all hung on a Lobdell plot is very apparent. By the end of it, though, Ellis gets a real handle on writing Kitty, and the aforementioned scene with the Wolvie flashback is the best writing here. We get the reminder of how resourceful Kitty is, and anyone who writes a badass Kitty is a favorite of mine. The line that sticks out is, Concentrate. Remember. Fix on that voice in your head, that old voice, strong with a cigar smoke edge. Cut to a wild-haired Wolverine, Ken Lashley draws the biggest Logan hair ever. Going back and looking at these old issues by Warren is fascinating. You see the Marvel influence of the time, lingering flickers of Claremontian narration, and inklings of the Ellis to come with fixations on magic and the supernatural, and a real crisp knowledge for dialogue and technical details, like the Krav, Krav Maga bit. In hindsight, I think Excalibur was the perfect book for a 27-year-old Ellis to find his footing at Marvel. Well, that's all for this edition of Ellis Cast. I'll be ne back next month with the normal Lakehouse report. Though, if you like hearing me bang on about old Uncle Warren, stay tuned for more information to come. Remember, if you're not in a hurry, not paying cover, everything deserves a read at the Lakehouse. J.D. Catch, out. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 541! And 542 is going to take pinpoint accuracy and cat-like reflexes to fit into my travel schedule next week. But we're going to do it. Joe, we're not going to do it. Yeah, we are. But before we get ready oh, to... 540, episode 542. Yes, before we get ready to pull some podcasting hammies, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? This week's question was submitted by New Guy via the THN forums. We're living in an awful timeline. Donald Trump, ICE, feral hogs coming for my kids. This shit sucks. Sometimes the bad guys win, and we have to deal with that. In the world of comics, the good guys usually come out on top, but sometimes they don't. What is the best story you've read where the bad guy wins? I love this question. So good. I love it. Hey, as always, guys, we're looking for new question of the week. That's suggestions. Right. Send them to me. Put them on the forums. You know what to do. 
If you're new to the show, I'm not that creative. <laughs> if you're new to the show and you're contemplating tearing your own ACL instead of listening to any more, I assure you, it's only because you have not heard enough. Did you tear your ACL? No. The good news is, who tore their ACL? No one. I was talking about pulling our hamstrings. Oh, hammies! Yeah. Come on, pay attention. Sorry. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN or digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Brian Domingos. Not only does he keep the forums alive, not only is he the god emperor of the THN forums, but he's helping keep the lights on in the ziggurat. God bless you, sir. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our junior listeners, Hugo Taverdick, Lincoln Bunger, and Sammy Coffey, and Conan Savitas. Our boys all started kindergarten this week. Word to you little dudes, John, John, Kevin, and Toots. Sorry for all the cussing. Uh, so, on <laughs> his second day of school, Lincoln broke his arm. Whoa, no. <laughs> he gets a wild man. They told him, keep your head and arms inside the kindergarten at all times, and eat them. He's, you know, <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just break your arms. This is a two-headed nerd.